The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise first season episode, Rogue Planet. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end. We've got some great listener feedback from the end of Star Trek Strange New Worlds first season. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Also, I want to tell you that uh, you want to get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt or mug or phone case. The design is on a bunch of different things by visiting sqpn.com slash merch, M-E-R-C-H. I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Or mysterious.fm. You could do that, too. So we're talking about Rogue Planet, this Enterprise uh, episode, first season, the 18th episode of the first season by their production numbers. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, Captain Archer and the Enterprise come across a rogue planet between star systems, and it's got a ship on it. They go down to investigate and discover the ship is owned by hunters who come to the planet to hunt pigs in space (laughs) and other exotic life forms. So despite the fact that the hunters are friendly and perfectly reasonable, we know that we're in for a lefty Hollywood anti-hunting theme in this episode. While camping with the hunters, a beautiful woman starts appearing to Captain Archer when he's alone. It turns out she's actually a giant telepathic shape-shifting creature whose native form looks like a giant planarian worm, so she's a big space slug. Uh, She says that she needs Archer because he's different than the hunters, and with only 12 minutes left in the show, she reveals that her species is one of those that the hunters are after. The hunters acknowledge that they do hunt this species because it's thrilling to hunt a creature that can read your mind and learn your plans. But they say that the species isn't really intelligent. It just acts on instinct. Rather than figure out that all-important question, uh, Archer decides to take action and thwart the hunters. He can't stop the hunt, but he orders Dr. Phlox to create a chemical that will mask the creatures from the hunter's sensors, making them harder to find. He then gives this to the creatures and leaves. The end. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the abrupt ending. <laughs> Wait, how much left do we have of this script I have to write? Oh, yeah. i got to finish that up. <laughs> so it starts with uh, Archer posing for photos for the a Starfleet recruitment poster, which he's very that's uncomfortable just, with. That's just filler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it was just kind of a funny thing uh, seeing... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker taking pictures with w- what had to be a film camera. <laughs> it was, it was, or a very early digital camera. It was kind of funny. Yeah, it was. It was a retro camera because, yes. of course, yeah, yeah, because of course. Um, all right. So they find this rogue planet, and it has it. A rogue planet is a planet that's just drifting in space with no sun, no star that it's orbiting around. It's just alone by itself in space. So they have to explain that to us. Yep like really prominently because and rogue planets were less well known back when this was made than they are now but but can a rogue planet have an atmosphere and an ecosystem of complex life on it 
Okay, so here's where the science <laughs> stupid comes in in this episode. Um, they so uh, theoretically, uh, you can have a rogue planet that um, that would have habitable temperatures on, on the surface. That's possible. Um, it could be heated by internal radioactivity. It could still be cooling off for its for, from its formation. So you know you could have a habitable zone on the surface in terms of temperature. In this case, they try to explain the habitable zone on the surface, or zones, by saying that there are hot gases venting up from within the planet to create warmth. So, okay, fine, you've got radioactive decay going on in the planet that heats up gases, the gases escape to the surface, and you've got this, you've got these at least pockets of biosphere on the surface, mm -hmm. which they go into. This, these are basically like geothermal vents that we have here on Earth on the ocean floor. Right. And life develops around geothermal vents, and that's, that's, it's even speculated that that may have been life, how life evolved on Earth, was not in tide pools, but around geothermal vents. And they have the same thing here, it's just this planet is not covered by an ocean. So, you would expect, just like here on Earth, the life forms in the geothermal vents or around the geothermal vents have adapted, they've evolved for that environment. So, they extract chemical energy from the geothermal vents and they use that to power their cells. You, therefore, would not have a jungle full of <laughs> banana leaves that are designed to collect sunlight and are green. Yes. Yeah. That's my very so, next note. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, so those plants on the surface are designed for photosynthesis, and that's what you don't have on a rogue mm. planet is photosynthesis. I, I feel like... Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think they tried to paint some of them white to make it look like, no, this isn't photosynthesis. It's some other way that the plants are drawing their energy but yeah no these are these are standard leaves very big leaves but leaves it's and green although green. they seem to dump dust on them or some some of them yeah yeah it seems like an unnecessary error like what they wanted was a world where it's always dark i guess mm -hmm. but yet there's ways you could have done that without like oh just offending the, offending the scientific senses yeah anyway well so let's Let's put a pin in that and move on, I guess. But even though that's the title of the episode, for some reason, Rogue Planet. Um, we do find out, so Archer and Reed and T'Pol and uh, Hoshi decide to go down to the surface. Uh, and we have a little bit of fun repartee between Archer and Reed, uh, who turns out both were Boy Scout Eagle Scouts. Uh, mm -hmm. Reed says um, that he, he earned 28 merit badges. And Archer only earned 26. Uh, just... So everyone knows, only 21 are required currently to become an Eagle yep. Scout. But there are 140 of them, and some Scouts do earn 140. So it would have been much more impressive if they'd earned, well, more than 28. But, well, you know, it, okay. It, it's funny that Archer is nonplussed that he was too short. <laughs> yes. He missed, he had two less. Yeah. It, it's a fun little uh, uh, male, con you know, contest sort of thing that we get going. The, the whole camping in the, in the woods thing. And it chews up time yes. because we don't get to meet the aliens until eight minutes into the show. <laughs> That's right. Um, so they, they're wearing these night vision goggle things, which yeah. actually are pretty cool. I don't know why they don't wear them all the time when they're in the dark. But well, it's, uh, also it's, it's the night vision version of Google Glass is what they are. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the resolution is pretty low, frankly. The, the 
night vision goggles we have that the like special forces use today are much much better uh also they wouldn't need flashlights if they are using night vision but okay so they stumble upon this hunting expedition it played you know they're bad guys because they're played by uh guest actors who are always bad guys in whatever they are in so it's clearly we we have a, a, a viewpoint on hunting here um and we're yeah, t- although it's i mean it's more balanced than it could be it's not a total and it's not a screaming anti-hunting at you it's there but it's not screaming it yeah and actually the hunters are totally reasonable people mm-hmm. they right. you know they acknowledge that we're not going to just kill anything they say there are they're after these things called dragons which are the space pigs mm-hmm. they're after something called firewolves they say that there are higher primates here and that they leave those alone right, right. so um and then there's the wraith which is the the giant space slug and they say that it's not actually intelligent presumably it would be less intelligent than the higher primates mm-hmm. which they leave alone right and and in in investigating the or in his interactions with the with the woman yeah the woman doesn't really seem to i mean she doesn't respond as if she's fully sentient yeah. You know, it's like she's plucking individual things to say out of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like she's displaying a lot of complex thought herself. That's an interesting. Yeah. I think that's possible that uh, they're, well, they may not be at the intellectual level of humans or the other human like people here, but, mm-hmm. but somewhere below and, you know, maybe some, a little above primate or around there. Like Coco the gorilla who does sign language level, maybe? Um, I well, can see that. presumably this would be lower than Coco, but... Yeah. I mean, it, based on the Esca, that's the name of the alien race. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Esca say that it's not really intelligent, so it would presumably be less than Coco. Yeah. Um, Coco, by the way, is much less intelligent than she appears, because <laughs> what they what what uh, they would do with her is edit together footage to make mm. it seem like she's much more intelligent than she is uh, like coco had a statement that was released a, a few years ago about global warming mm. and it's like i'm sorry this this animal does not know what global warming is you've just got it to say these things yep. and you've stitched them together after repeated attempts right which they admitted they did but it's it, it's just hmm. everything about coco is fraudulent okay <laughs> 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 but uh it's kind of like a dog you know if mm-hmm. you had a telepathic dog that could read your mind and pull out individual things <laughs> to say and you asked it why are you doing this it's like the dog could say like i need you yeah but then you say why and the dog would be able to pull out you're different yeah but not articulate all the hows and whys yeah. of why I need you and how you're different and how that's relevant. Mm. Yeah. And be like, you know, dog, be able to say, well, I, I need you. Why? I'm hungry. Feed me. Yeah. Walk. You know, walk. Yeah. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. Ride. Ride. Go for a well, ride. Yeah. It's, well, it's sort of like, you know, Doug in, uh, in uh, uh, the movie Up, you know. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the, they we're told that when they meet this hunting expedition that hunting went out of style on Earth a hundred years previously. So presumably, 
all over the earth, all yep. the billions of people yeah. living on earth. It, yeah. yeah. Including the indigenous uh, native tribes and, and oh. all, all protein is fake meat, apparently. Oh, but don't you know that, that, uh, you know, the Vulcans coming for first contact changed the entire world and everybody lived together in peace and harmony. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Reed uh, gets invited to go hunting, and he's eager to go, and uh, even promises Captain, I won't kill anything. And uh, I thought it was funny because in the notes on uh, the Memory Alpha wiki, it says that uh, the way Keating delivers this, Malcolm Reed, delivers this promise, uh, sort of implies that, you know, maybe I will and maybe I won't. I promise I won't kill anything. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> a kid saying, I'll go down to Lake, I promise I won't get in the water yeah right tom right. knows that one i'm sure oh yes yes I've, I've heard those promises yeah i i took that as this line has to be in here for the hollywood people to, mm-hmm. and they've got to come up with some reason other than i want to go on a hunt for yeah. for malcolm to want to go it's like oh you snuck up on us with your night technology stuff i want to see how that works and it's <laughs> like you don't need to go on a hunt to see that exactly right, right. Uh, so they have a camp out, which is uh, we, we we've seen these uh, tents before, by the way. The because they can't beam up and down like we do in all other mm-hmm. Star Trek series, and have to take a shuttle. They sometimes will spend the night on the surface of a planet, and so we've seen them camping out, which is fun. Um, but while they're camping, Archer is lured into the woods by a female voice calling his name, and I do appreciate the fact that he does later say that that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> Like yeah. he was under some kind of compulsion to go because, you know, wandering away from camp on a strange planet in the dark because you're hearing someone call your name. That, that's a that's a recipe for never coming back. Let's just put it that way. I think there's some horror movies that start out with that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's also super determined. I mean, he's being unreasonable saying, mm-hmm. oh, this was real. It was not a dream. And it's like. Dude, you were laying down. <laughs> yeah. You were resting, and then you heard this voice. This could very easily be a dream. Yeah. And d- you shouldn't be so determined that, oh, no, I know this was real. That mm. Well, they, guys, they even yeah. call that out. They say, so it's reasonable to think that there's this beautiful woman in a nightgown walking around this rogue planet. <laughs> and he kind of goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is. Well, have you guys ever had the experience of where you're you know, asleep or falling asleep or having a nap. And then you like, you could swear you heard someone call your name. Mm-hmm. Like I've had that happen, you oh, know, yeah. and I, and I, but there's nobody there. Like everybody's out or something, you know, for me, everybody's out of the house or whatever. And it's like, no, no one, you know, no one's there. Like, so for, it happens. Fortunately, it, ha- it hasn't happened since I've been living alone. <laughs> that would really scare the heck out of me. It's like, why is there someone in my house calling my name? <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, yeah, so he sees the uh, half-naked lady in a diaphanous gown wandering around on an alien planet and, and is intrigued, which, you know, you would be. Um, and they kind of make fun of him for that. The hunter's like, yeah, I mean, I can, are, you, are you having a nice dream there, Captain? Yeah. Um, and then point out the tendency to see things in the night for your imagination to, to run wild, which I guess the, these alien, the Eska probably also evolved on a planet that has half the day, you know, that half the mm-hmm. day is nighttime and that they're not adapted for nighttime like humans. And so the night is scarier than the day, you know, cause you can imagine a species where that's not the case. Um, so interesting. Um, 
he does talk to Trip about how he felt like he didn't have any control over his actions, though. So we, we get mm-hmm. that. But they, they don't mm-hmm. really explore that any further. That's kind of just left. Um, so the, uh, the... Yeah, and that can be another sign that you're in a dream. Yep. Right, right. So the hunters take Reed hunting, and he sees a rock. Well, not Reed, but the others see a rock become a slug and call out, Wraith! And uh, they, they go... Uh, after it and and so that's uh we, we we finally see one of these things in their natural form the uh woman then appears to archer again and tells her tells him that she needs him and um and th- and this is all occurring while the hunter's being attacked by the slug and so uh T'Pol gets a great line here though she says would you be so determined to vi- find this vision if it were a scanty- scantily clad man and not a woman <laughs> yeah. i think it's very logical for her to point out uh and kind of wouldn't funny wouldn't make it onto the show today nope N- no uh, that is a line that wouldn't be in there um unfortunately or, or if it was there that would be for a revelation of a sort yes <laughs> right um so uh, yeah then we get this whole archer quizzing the hunters on why they hunt here rather than their own world and he, for some reason he he says well the animals here aren't that different from from your planet uh, have you been to their planet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, there's a reason people go to Africa to hunt. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, why Americans and North and South Americans and Europeans go to Africa to hunt, because they got cool animals there. Right. Um, other people do the reverse. Yeah. So it, you go where the animals are interesting and different. Right. Well, I mean, and, and you also do hunt on your own planet. You just don't limit yourself to yeah. that. Well, and, and they, they do say that this planet is kind of like a wildlife preserve for them for the purpose of hunting, that they, they've kind of taken over this planet as a place for this purpose, and it's a very exclusive preserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the waiting list to get in, they say, is like 10 years, and then you're only allowed four days on the planet. Yep. Right, right, to preserve the, the, the species that you're hunting. Um, we're, we're told that the wraith, you know, once it finally comes out that they're hunting the, these creatures, um, we're told that they are they used to be much more dangerous. That the, mm-hmm. the that I mean, a lot of the hunters wouldn't come back from the hunt; they'd be killed in the hunt. Um, it kind of reminds me a lot of the Herogen on Voyager, although mm-hmm. less single-mindedly violent uh, <laughs> toward everything. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's another hunter species. Uh, although not maybe hunting doesn't define their their culture, but the way it did with the Herogen, I think is is the way to put it. Um, but it, yeah. it reminded me of the Bandersnatches in uh, Larry Niven's known space. Bandersnatches are single-celled organisms the size of brontosauruses, <laughs> and and they're intelligent. Um, and they let themselves get hunted. There's like a treaty between humans and Bandersnatches that allow them to be hunted, even though they're intelligent. But it's strictly regulated, so it's evenly matched. And if you go on a Bandersnatch hunt, you've basically got a 50% chance of not coming back. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. I've never heard that So they'll, they'll hunt back. They yes. will, yes. Yes. <laughs> Most dangerous game. Um, so the, the, so, so the, we should so – so now we have the name of the story on the table. Yeah. Um, we should probably mention what that is. So the Most Dangerous Game is a classic – short story from a little more than 100 years ago, around 100 years ago, and it's about a group of people who get marooned on an island that's owned by a count named Zaroff, and Count Zaroff hunts human beings. 
mm-hmm. uh, who crash on his island. And he does that because humans are the most dangerous game because they can think. And um, so as a game animal, humans are more dangerous than anything else. And so it's the most exciting form of hunt for him. And there's a natural comparison here to the wraith creature that is telepathic and can read your mind. Although, if it's true that it really is not intelligent and is just acting on instinct, then it's not actually as dangerous as hunting a human would be. Right. Yeah, and that plot gets reused over and over again in Hollywood. Uh, over yeah. and over, over and over again. Yeah. And, it, and it also was one of the things that apparently inspired the Zodiac Killer. Oh, hmm. interesting. I know that. Yeah. There was a, there was a, a, a black and white version of the movie uh, of the most dangerous game that the Zodiac apparently saw and patterned some of his uh, activity after. Oh. So I mentioned that the the Esca the, the 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 wraith used to be much more dangerous, but the Esca figured out that the wraiths emit a chemical signature when they were afraid, and, and thus they um, adapted their sensors to detect that chemical signature. It also made the young, who were more likely to be afraid when hunted, uh, a better target. Which is any hunter knows is a bad idea to <laughs> to kill yeah. all the young and leave only the uh, the old uh, creatures. So uh, that's presumably unbalancing the ecosystem this is also an interesting idea because there are animals that release uh fear signals when they're that they cannot stop when when they're scared um dogs do that Mm. uh that's why dogs dogs have a gland on their backside that releases a a a scent when they're afraid and they cannot stop it Mm. and that's why dogs put their tails between their legs Mm. Ah. It's 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 to try to dampen down the uh, the scent that's being released, so others will not be as aware they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Don't humans like humans sweat when they're afraid? You know, I mean that's sort yeah. of a fear response. So it would seem that's be. yeah, probably similar. Um, so Archer decides the hunting must stop, but T'Pol wonders if they have a right to stop them. Which well, is, she says we don't have a right to interfere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is and she's correct. Yeah, this is a a prime directive sort of situation, which but doesn't exist yet in in Starfleet. Well, but. It's not really prime directive. It's it's a, a species that's not a part of the Federation. Yeah. Well, nobody's a part of the Federation. Well, and again, it doesn't this exist is, at this point. But yeah, this is an unallied race. This is a planet that they have a claim to. We have no right to come in and stop them from yep. from doing what they're doing on this planet. What if the the uh, wraiths were in fact sentient creatures on the level of humans and esca i mean would they still have the then right you to... well yeah. th- then i would say yes but look at how captain archer doomed an alien race a few episodes ago <laughs> yeah. when you had the the two al- the two alien races that evolved on the same planet and he chose sides between them yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so Ar- archer playing god he uh so he tells flocks that he wants him to develop a treatment to mask the smell because you know all Starfleet's uh, medical science is magic. <laughs> Just like, do it, okie doke. Um, and in the meantime, Archer figures out why he recognizes the woman. Um, he, he remembers a poem that his mother used to uh, recite to him when he was a child and he couldn't sleep, uh, the song, song of the Wandering Angus. And as a child, he cre- created... By, which is a, a real poem by yep. William Butler Yeats. Yes. 
Um, and uh, he, it is as his mom would recite the poem, he created this image of the elusive woman in the poem in his mind, and uh, and that's what he's seeing. Um, I'll put a link to the poem in the show notes so that you, you mm-hmm. know, can check it out. Um, just the, the the title, the song of the wandering Angus, doesn't mean anything. My wife, who's a English professor, uh, uh, it, at one point in her life, tells me that Yeats made up nonsensical titles for his. His poems that had nothing to do with the content of the poems. Um, isn't the Angus in the title a reference to an Irish deity? Uh, I'm not sure it is, but um, but in which case it still doesn't connect with the content of the poem. So, um, so Yeats wrote for Discovery Season 1, apparently. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> for nonsensical titles. Uh, so... Because this occurs so late in the episode, as you mentioned, Jimmy, we have very little drama concerning the application of the of this masking compound, this masking scent masking thing. Yeah. We never even see it, right? Um, we don't see it being developed. Flox just does it off screen. It's given to these creatures off screen. All we see is after the revelation, we have that they where the the slug lady tells Archer that they're hunting her species. We have a scene where they talk to the hunters, and they don't even say that the slug has told them this. They just are asking about it, and they kind of feel out the, the hunters. Then we have a scene up on the ship where they have an internal debate about what do we do, and Archer gives the order to make the stuff. And then we come back to the planet, and it's already been given to the slug creatures, mm-hmm. and we see a slug creature evading the hunters. Yeah. It, it, and then we have what's interesting is we don't have a big moralizing speech at the end like we usually get with Star Trek <laughs> captains. Mm. Um, they, they kind of Archer and the others are kind of like, oh, it's too bad your hunt didn't go very well. I guess uh, you know it's going to be more difficult to hunt these creatures. Well, and that's actually good that yeah. he didn't gloat over them because if he if, if it would harm his own goals mm-hmm. if he's trying to protect these creatures to tell them what he did right. <laughs> Because then that will tell them, oh, so thank you, you're a bunch of space jerks, and now we know what to work on to refine <laughs> exactly. our sensor technology. Right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, we, we. But what we get is, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I guess, we're, I guess we're bad luck, uh, is uh, mm-hmm. what he says uh, for when the spe- uh, the hunting. Uh, and then we, you know, we get this last encounter between Archer and the uh, Slug Lady, and thankfully he doesn't. Like kiss her, like I thought for a minute there the first time I watched yeah. this that he was gonna like kiss her, and that would just been awful. Don't kiss the slug, yeah. Although yeah. Scott Bakula does do this sort of like when she transforms into the slug, kind of this like ugh, <laughs> like that was yeah. close. <laughs> he does to give it a little bit of a reaction, which I thought was good. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so last thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? No, it was an episode. You know, yeah. It, yeah it, I wrote down in you know in a note. Uh, this is hunting bad. This is <laughs> this is hunting is bad. And of course, you know, being from Montana, we have a lot of hunters around here, and so it's kind of like, yeah, they, they don't even. They, actually, I will say the bad guys, the hunters, are actually portrayed pretty well, all in all, <laughs> as actual hunters. But sure, sure, yeah, it's not full on demonization of hunters in this episode, but right, yeah. no. All right, uh, how about you, Jimmy? Any final thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do want to bring out one thing from uh, the the uh, Memory Alpha Wiki. 
that notes from the, the reference book Beyond the Final Frontier says, this is probably the weakest episode of the season. It's not bad so much as anticlimactic, which is kind of an interesting mm-hmm. take. Uh, and then it suggests that this has should have been an episode of Star Trek Voyager because, quote, this has unused Chakotay story written all over it, <laughs> which mm. I, I thought was an, uh, not, a, not an inaccurate uh, assessment. Yeah. So I, I, th- I thought that was interesting. All right, it's I, also the darkest episode ever in the <laughs> photographic sense. The yeah. <laughs> There's just, I mean, Star Trek, like Voyager gets really dark on screen when they turn off the lights to go to battle as mm-hmm. why would you do that? Yeah. Um, but here it's just the whole thing is we're on a night planet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I did mention we have some feedback. So let me get to that now. This is uh, feedback on the final episode of Star Trek Strange New World's first season. And the first feedback comes from the Sage of Rokaseka uh, via YouTube, who writes, I have to confess, I didn't care for this Kirk. Charism is a key quality. Pines Kirk has that charism, though I acknowledge the writing is less than stellar for him. This Kirk lacks that quality and doesn't make me think of the kind of person that, quote, doesn't like to lose, or goes a different way from everyone else. I don't know. I wouldn't mind a recasting for season two. Um, I, I think that I agree that this Kirk didn't show a lot of charisma, but I think it may have been because of the writing of this episode. This was mm-hmm. a very serious episode, and it was being handled in a very serious way. Um, and Kirk, tend, as a character, Kirk tends, regardless who's playing him, to be charismatic when he gets to smile and mm-hmm. pal around and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that was kind of not what this episode was about. Yeah. If you watch uh, Balance of Terror, the original episode this was based on, he's not the charismatic, smiley, you know, everybody likes me, Kirk. That's kind of stereotypical. But also, this is Strange New Worlds. Pike is the is the lead, and he's got to have the, he's got to stand up right. head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, that's well, just... And, I mean, this is, again, Kirk's also in a different situation. For most of the episode, he's not on his own ship. He's right. a he, he's a captain without a ship at that point. So he's really under the authority of Pike at that point. Yeah, he's second bananaed. So uh, the next feedback comes from Ryan, who sent us an email, who says, Okay, I understand giving a new vision to the ship in uniforms. Yes, I'm sure the original series would have looked much more futuristic had they been given modern CGI. I don't mind the new uniforms and some of the reimagined sets, but why did they have to give the movie-era uniforms leather sleeves? The red-maroon uniforms of the TOS movie era are one of the most iconic pieces of Trek, and they use faux leather for sleeves? It would have looked a thousand times better had the showrunners made an exact one-for-one replica of the original uniforms. You don't have to reimagine every detail, folks. And P.S., I'd totally watch a reboot of TNG with James McAvoy portraying Captain Picard, just saying. I, so, I have to say, I liked the new redo, the redoing of the, t, uh, the movie era uniforms. They didn't look quite as 1980s bell bottoms and velvet as the <laughs> movie uniforms did. Uh, and I didn't mind the, the, the original uniforms, but you can tell part of the, what their redesign was with the, the full leather, as he called it, was to kind of match the pattern that's on the the sleeves and the shoulders of the uh, the uniforms that in in Strange New Worlds that it's yeah. you can tell that it's meant to be a, a continuation from that uniform. So uh, I I, lo- I like the the new uniform newer new rethinking of the movie era uniform. 
I wonder if it depends a little bit on which which are which is your era. If you're a TOS guy, like I was, I grew up with TOS. It's not so much a big a deal. But if if the movie era was your era, mm-hmm. you know the TOS well, movie I, era, that could be. And I, I knew the movies more than I knew TNG. More than obviously more than I knew TOS, since I'm still kind of learning about it. So yeah. And then um, the uh, reboot of TNG with James McAvoy. It, the reason I think uh, that uh, Ryan brings it up is. James McAvoy plays the young Professor X in the X-Men movies. So there's this natural association between um, Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy. So um, Because Patrick Stewart also played Professor mm-hmm. X. Yes. yes. Close the loop on that. Um, so very good. And then finally, Edward F. says via YouTube, thanks for doing these reviews. I agree with your overall opinions. Question, why was Una essentially sidelined for the season after her power reveal? I think this was because um, they were trying to introduce us. I think it was a first season issue. Una is clearly one of the major characters of the show, um, but they were trying to introduce us to all of the other main characters, mm-hmm. and she just kind of got sidelined. They, they, she didn't have a lot to do later in the season. I've, I've seen some criticism of they made her too much like Laan. Yeah. And and Laan did things that otherwise would and should have been done by number one. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, then there's some merit to that criticism. It's I, I think they I think the season would have been stronger if they hadn't just done an Una centric episode early and left it at that. But if they'd done one of the later episodes uh, very Una centric as well. That would be good, and then had the finale they did. Clearly, Una is going to be more important at the beginning of next season. Right, right, right. Yes, they they did leave that thread out there, and you, I agree with you that Laon kind of sucked up a lot of the screen time that I think otherwise would have gone to Una if they both hadn't been there. Well, even in the the first episode, it's Laon is the first officer, acting first officer because Una is off captured right. on a alien planet so right even that first episode that's true all right thank you all for your feedback it was excellent we really enjoy your feedback we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including diane s martin g tim d sean f and john c their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Rogue Planet? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the very first appearance of the Gorn on Star Trek in the original series episode, Arena. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I went out to the Hazelwood because a fire was in my head. <laughs>